0: If you were here last week, you know we're kicking off this series called The Unique Future, where we're looking at this unique um, way that God wants to continue to use Orchard into the future based on you know the unique ways that God has used us in the past. And Ed uh, spoke last week about this first part of kind of our, our missional mandate, which is helping next generations both encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. And that video and those spring break trips... And the experiences that happen there are, I think, one of the most profound ways that we live out uh, that mandate. So when I was 16, and I was a sophomore at East High in Waterloo, I became very anxious about dying, just out of the blue. Nothing happened, you know, that sparked this. No one died. I didn't see a scary movie. I just one day woke up with the awareness that life was going by really fast and that in a blink of an eye it was going to be over and I would be dead. And that thought terrified me. And though I was raised in a liberal Christian home, I really just didn't have any sense of God. I wasn't antagonistic about faith. I just didn't care. And I didn't have a real sense of Jesus. Except I knew that I didn't want to be weird, like some people I knew who went to church. So I started asking people, what is going to happen to me when I die? Which is a very great way to end conversations at a teenage party. (laughs) So try that if you want to get out of one. And one friend said to me when I asked her this, well, have you ever said a swear word? And I was like, well... I'm afraid the answer to that is yes. And she said, real matter of fact, well, you're going to go to hell. So I thought to myself, I'm going to keep searching. (laughs) So the next friend I asked, what's going to happen to me when I die? And she was like, well, we're all God's children and wishy-washy, wishy-washy, wishy-washy. Which is completely unhelpful. My best friend at the time was a Jehovah's Witness. And she latched on to my question and was trying to wrangle me into her church. One friend, when I asked her, said nothing, but she wrote something on a little note card and she handed it to me one day in the hall between classes. And I remember stopping in the middle of all the chaos that is a high school hallway and opening that little tiny note and reading, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will never die, but will have eternal life. Now, I really did not know what that meant, but there was a movement in my soul. And I knew all the way down to my toes that what I had just read on that little note card was not only the answer to my current question, but it somehow held the key to all the other questions I would ever ask in my whole life. And I believe that I encountered Jesus, the Messiah, in that hallway in that piece of scripture, in that act of kindness and courage from a high school acquaintance named Denise. And my life was never the same. And we're we're in this teaching series called A Unique Future. And as I think about the mission that God has called us to at Orchard, I realize that a huge part of that mission is about helping people encounter Jesus, just like I did over 30 years ago. Now, you know, as you heard in the video last week that Jeff um, was talking in, for more than 50 years, Orchard has been helping people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And this is, of course, we hope and pray, the mission of all churches. But how God does that, how he has done it and how he wants to continue to do it through Orchard, is unique. He uniquely calls us here at this church, to work together to help next generations encounter and then follow Jesus in order to bless a broken world. This is not new for Orchard, but it is a bit more focused. It is a bit more clear. And it is our belief that God releases his power in amazing ways when his people get real clarity on how he uniquely wants to work through them. So like I said last week, Ed talked about this idea of helping next generations. And this morning we're going to explore this idea of helping people encounter Jesus. And all over the gospel stories, when you read the gospels, when you read about the life of Jesus, you see that people were constantly encountering him, having some kind of interaction with him. And some people chose to follow him. And some people didn't. And that's just the way that that works. And we believe that people need to have that initial opportunity to encounter Jesus so they can decide, they can make that really important decision about whether or not they want to follow him or not. And so we as a church want to offer all kinds of opportunities to encounter Jesus in, in, in ways that are appropriate for all kinds of stages of readiness. So the question I want us to explore this morning is how can we be a church, a community of believers who continue and even in a kind of exponentially greater way, help next generations, which of course includes everyone, encounter Jesus. And we want to look at this this morning through one story in the gospel of Mark. It's on page 991 in your pew Bibles. If you want to follow along, it's also in your bulletins or you can read along in your own Bible. Mark, if you're a person who doesn't like a long introduction, you're going to like the Gospel of Mark. He just gets started right away. In chapter 1, we've got John the Baptist, then he baptizes Jesus, then Jesus calls his first disciples, and then he drives out an impure spirit. He heals people, he heals a man with leprosy, and then we're in chapter 2. And this is the story that we're going to look at. Mark chapter 2, starting with verse 1. A few days later, this is after Jesus had healed a leper and told him not to tell anyone. The leper tells everyone, and Jesus is like running from the crowds. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, which reminds me of scratch cupcakes on a Saturday morning. That's kind of what it looked like. And he preached the word to them. He preached God's message to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. And since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Now, this was like a thatch mud roof. And so they're digging through it and all this brush and debris are falling on the people inside, including Jesus. Also not a great way To uh, enter a party and they lowered the mat the man was lying on they lowered it through the hole in the roof and when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralyzed man son your sins are forgiven now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves why does this fellow talk like that he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone And go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now, I just want to make a little disclaimer before I dig in. We don't tend to experience these kinds of miraculous physical healings. On a daily basis. And there are tons of questions about that. I have questions. I know many of you have questions. And that is a teaching for another day. My encouragement, if you have those kinds of thoughts and questions, is to tuck them away for now and to just dig into the big principles of this story with me. So I think the first thing that we can pull from this story is we consider how to help others encounter Jesus is that we need to courageously live out the truth that Jesus changes lives. These men believed that Jesus would and could change their friend's life. They believed that if they could simply get their friend into Jesus' presence, that Jesus would be good to him. And so they did everything they could just to get him to Jesus. They had this tenacious kind of faith that Jesus was the answer to their friend's suffering. And Jesus, Mark tells us, honored their faith. One of the commentators I read about this particular story said this. He said, apparently nothing pleases the Lord as much as being trusted to be good. Nothing pleases the Lord as much as our trusting him to be good. Do you trust Jesus to be good? Not safe, but good. Jesus wants us to trust in his goodness. And at the same time as we do that, he wants us to remember that we're not in charge of the outcome of things. This is really hard for us. But in this story, this man's friends brought him to Jesus to be healed. And Jesus instead chose to first heal him at the very deepest level of all. He actually chose first to forgive this man's sins. He healed him later physically, almost in an attempt to be antagonistic to the religious leaders. But he knew, Jesus always knows, that our deepest need is to be made right with the Father. And so he met that need first. Our job is to make the invitation. Our job is to help people get to Jesus and to trust him to be good. But we need to remember we don't determine the outcome. And we need to stop putting that kind of pressure on ourselves and on our friends. In, in the story where Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John chapter 3, Jesus says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. And you cannot tell, you hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. There is an incredible and profound mystery to the way that God works in people's lives. So we invite... But this we know, it is Jesus who changes lives. We trust in his goodness, but we leave the outcome to him. And at the same time as we do that, we remove whatever obstacles lie in front of people as best we can. The friends in this story literally removed literal physical obstacles to get their friend to Jesus. And we want to be that kind of church. And in many ways we are. I I look around here and I think, you know, some of our oldest members have courageously lived out this truth time and time again, exchanging the organ for a piano. And then all of a sudden we have guitars and drums and all kinds of crazy instruments up here. We give up hymns at times for contemporary worship. The communion table was moved and the pastors started wearing jeans. And then you had women pastors wearing jeans, which is the deadliest combination Dave Bartlett didn't even tuck his shirt in last week or this week. It's become a common trend. We opened a coffee house... Sorry, Dave. (laughs) Mine's not tucked in either, so... We, We opened a coffee house to help people feel welcome. And now people are bringing coffee right into the service and spilling it right onto the carpet. You know, we started a college service for college students. We changed the traditional service to a family service. We had a spoken word piece to start Easter... We are constantly looking for ways to remove barriers so that people can encounter Jesus in our worship services. And we're so grateful to those of you who've sacrificed to make that happen. And we will remain committed and open to looking for new ways to reach new generations to remove all kinds of barriers to help people encounter Jesus and come to worship Him. This is just who we're going to be. So the second encouragement after remembering that we need to courageously remember that Jesus changes lives, is that we need to courageously live out the truth that we are better together. In my story of encountering Jesus, one friend, Denise, gave me that initial scripture. But then a few days later, another friend stepped in and listened to me ask over and over, how, how do I just believe in Jesus? I couldn't understand what I needed to do. How do you just start believing in someone I couldn't see? It felt a bit like I was trying to become one of those people who can make themselves burp. Do you know those people? Have you ever been at a party with them? It's so obnoxious. They can just swallow air and then burp. I am not that person. That's honest to God what it felt like to me. I couldn't figure out what I needed to do. To believe in Jesus and I so wanted to do it. So another friend, not Denise, but my friend Sherry wrote me a very serious letter in which she explained that I needed to trust Jesus with my life the way I would trust my best friend with my purse. And I was like, hello, I am a 16 year old girl and I get that. And so I did it, just like Dave talks about. I trusted all I knew of Jesus with all I knew of myself. And that just set off a whole new level of encounter. And then another friend, Robin, walked with me and prayed with me and invited me to church. And she helped me have an even deeper encounter with Jesus. In my story, each friend played their part. And they were better together. Just like in the story we read in Mark, the four friends each grabbed a corner of the paralyzed man's mat and they carried him to Jesus. It is not all up to us by ourselves. We are the body of Christ for a reason. And I love how it's put in Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 4. It says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function... So in Christ, we though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. So if your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Faith, if it is serving, serve. If it is teaching, Teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Should he keep going? He could. He could keep listing all the gifts in this room, and he's saying, figure out what God has called you to, and then do it in community. I think about the story I I told before in a teaching through a video. But in January at our annual leadership retreat, we heard the story afresh of um, Gary and Sheila McClanahan's small group that had gone through a Bible study on Right Now Media, became convicted and challenged to reach out to a gentleman in the Walnut Court neighborhood of Waterloo who's in a wheelchair and who needed some help with things around his house. And so off they went as a small group in partnership with each other to help fix some things for this man. And in the process of doing a project, lo and behold, they became friends with Jack. And Jack became friends with them. And they realized that they liked each other and that they enjoyed being in company with one another. And the group continued to help Jack with some important things. But Jack also started to become a dear friend. And these folks from Orchard continued to have this very tenacious belief that even though helping Jack with projects is good, the real encounter that Jack needed was an encounter with Jesus. And so they kept loving him and listening and tearing down obstacles. They helped him have surgery and recovery, and they helped him get a motorized scooter for his house. And very recently, in the midst of this community of love and service and friendship, Jack has a very real encounter with Jesus and decides to follow him as both Lord and Savior. And that whole group of people encountered Jesus more fully as they prayed for Jack. We believe that people are better together. And when the body of Christ is made up of all kinds of people, each one of us playing our part, we are better as a body to help people encounter Jesus as he really is. And we need every single one of you in this mission with us? Do you have a sense of what your part is? And are you playing it? Last but not least, we need to courageously live out the truth that our weakness is often the best in, uh, opportunity any of us have to encounter Jesus. And when I wrote that down, I asked myself, when are we finally going to believe this is true? See, very often, Jesus reveals himself and creates encounters with people, not through strength, but through weakness and tragedy and trial and even sometimes death. Just look at this story. It was the man's paralysis, not his incredible strength and power that caused him to encounter Jesus. It was his helplessness that God used to help him. And also his friends and others all over that region encountered Jesus in this story. Even the skeptical religious leaders encountered Jesus because of this man's weakness. And As I think about my story, it was my fear and anxiety that led me to encounter Christ for the first time. Somehow... I don't quite know how it's happened, but we've bought the American cultural viewpoint that we need to be strong and healthy and good to encounter Jesus or to help other people encounter Jesus. But the kingdom truth is the exact opposite. It is in our weakness that Jesus and his presence is the strongest. In my own life, this truth reveals itself all the time. You know, it was my three year bout with depression over 20 years ago that led to my teaching ministry. It was not my health, but my sickness. It's my brokenness that often leads to my own healing and to the healing of others. It's my failure that leads me and leads other people to grace. It is my dying to all kinds of things that leads me and other people to life. And this principle is so true in our journey as a church of helping others encounter Jesus. Somebody named D.T. Niles, I don't know who he is, but he's brilliant because he said, Christianity is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. I remember almost 13 years ago, A young, vibrant, deeply faithful dad and husband named Grant Wheeler, who many of you in here know, died in a tragic car accident. Some of you remember it. You remember the day it happened. He was killed by a teenager who was drag racing on Highway 58. I mean, it was just a tragedy all around. And if if many of you saw the newspaper after part of the trial, you remember Grant's wife, Chris, handing a Bible to one of the young men who killed her husband in deep forgiveness. And of course, Chris and and, and their boys were devastated by Grant's death, as were so many of Grant's closest friends, many of whom were runners and followers of Christ. And so those friends of Grant and lovers of his wife and kids worked through their grief enough to find a way to try to honor Grant's life and bring something remotely good out of his untimely death. So they did what they usually did with Grant. They ran. They ran. And they organized a 5K right here at Orchard just a couple weeks after his death. And hundreds of supporters and Grant's friends and family came from all over the Cedar Valley to show his wife and kids how much they loved them and how much Grant had meant to them. And the love and the grace and the mercy and even the goodness of God were so present that day in our community and in this church. And one woman came to that race on that day knowing nothing about Grant and really knowing nothing about Jesus or about our church, but she somehow encountered Christ on that day in the midst of the aftermath of that tragedy. She encountered Jesus in the midst of it all at a 5K. And she gave her life to Christ. And she's since joined Orchard and she's brought her husband and her kids to encounter Jesus here too. And the friends who started that 5K in such grief and sadness 13 years ago are still going strong. That first race raised money for Grant's family, but the next 12 years have raised money for scholarships and they've given away more than $50,000 to young Christian runners who are helping their teammates encounter Jesus through the way they live out their faith in high school, which is an incredibly profound place for people to encounter Jesus In our weakness, in our failures, in our suffering, in our sorrow, in our grief, even in our death, God is strong and encounters with Jesus happens. So Jesus changes lives. We're better together. And through our weakness, Jesus tends to show up. And Jesus said in in John, again, the Gospel of John chapter 17, he said, this is eternal life. This is what it means to live eternally. It means to know me and to know the one who sent me. But before we can know him, we have to encounter him once or twice or who knows, 30 times And then each one of us who've chosen to follow him, we need to continue to pursue our own encounters with Jesus through his word and through his body and through our reaching out to those around us who are the least among us. And as we continue to seek Jesus' face and to let him encounter us all the time in our own blindness and our own paralysis and our own sin, then we invite others to encounter him too. And there is no greater adventure or fulfillment in life. And so I hope and pray all of you in your own way, in the unique way that God has designed you, will continue to partner together with all the rest of us to help next generations both encounter and follow Jesus to bless a broken world. Let's pray. Jesus, so often in our excitement to help others follow you, we forget that they first need to encounter you. And we forget how incredibly creative you are. And we forget that there's no sacred, secular divide that you can show up anywhere, anytime. And so, Father, would you help us remember that Jesus changes lives? Would you help us remember that we're better together? And would you help us, God, to remember that it is in our weakness that you are so strong? And I pray your hand of blessing over this church, this body of Christ, in this unique place, the Cedar Valley and beyond. And we pray that we, in ways big and small, in our own brokenness, through your power, can help people encounter Jesus so they can follow him to eternity. Amen.